This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much again for your never-failing help when we come to the Scriptures to open our eyes, to reveal to us truths, and to, Lord, help those truths to penetrate into us, to change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou castest out, sufferest to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything that was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Okay, so now, so far in our chapter here in Matthew 8, we've seen the Lord exercise great power. That's been kind of a theme here. He's shown that he has great power over diseases. He's healed leprosy. He's healed a servant who was on his deathbed, and he rebuked fevers, and he just healed many people that were in the city of Capernaum. He has shown that he has power over the wind and the waves. That remarkable scene took place in which the disciples said, what manner is this? What manner of man is this that he has power over the wind and the seas? 
He's shown that he's had power over devils already. We saw that in verse 16. You'll notice where it says, when even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now, that was kind of a general statement. That was a general statement in verse 16 when it said, many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word. In this section, where we are now, we're going to look more closely at the Lord's power over demons and how his word, with his word, he did cast out devils, and it's going to show us a truth, a truth that's spoken of in Revelation 118. Revelation 118, where the Lord said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. He has the keys of hell and of death. What does that mean? That means that the Lord himself determines who is going to be cast into hell, the place of eternal death. This passage that we're going to look at now is going to show us what the Lord has done to the demons when it says in Colossians 2.15, Colossians 2.15, that he has spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This verse shows that the demonic world was at odds with the Lord, fought with the Lord, and the Lord emerged from that fight, from that battle. He was the winner. He was the winner who triumphed over the demons and spoiled them. It's going to show us, this passage is going to show us the relative position that the Lord has in relation to the demons and the devil, what it says in Ephesians 1.19. Ephesians 1.19. It's talking about the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe, according to the mighty power that he has, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. 100%, 200%, the demons are powerful. But in Ephesians 1.21, it does not say that the Lord is just above the demons. Ephesians 1.21 says the Lord is far above the demons. So this passage is going to give us really a very unique opportunity to see an interaction between the Lord Jesus and the powers of darkness. The Lord is coming into this area of the Gergesenes or the Gadarenes, and that was an area that was inhabited both by Jews and Gentiles. And we don't know who was keeping these forbidden pigs. It was either Gentiles selling pork meat to Gentiles or it was Jews selling pork meat to Gentiles, or it was Jews selling pork meat to Jews. You know, as for the Jews selling the pork meat to Gentiles, the forbidden pork, that reminds me of how it wasn't very long after we started our mass distribution of my testimony book, changed, and the DVD, that both the DVD and the book appeared on Amazon and eBay. Hey, if the Gentiles want to buy it, let's make some money, why not? And as for the Jews selling the forbidden pork to other Jews, you can find pork today in Israel. The only difference is it's not labeled pork. It's not called pork. It's labeled and called white meat. That's what it's called. <laughs> it reminds me of the time when my dear friend Avi, who lives in Jerusalem, and, and we, we met one winter in November in Dusseldorf, Germany. Every year, every year 
in November, the largest medical trade show in the world happens in Dusseldorf. It's called Medica. And Avi and I had a tradition. I don't go any more, but I used to, and I used to meet Bobby every year. And we had a tradition that we always met for dinner at our favorite beer garden called Fuchsian, or Foxes. And we would eat the same thing, which is called Schweinehaxe. Schweinehaxe is the ankle. Anybody know what Schweinehaxe is? Okay, one or two. Okay, you're missing something. Good, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's the joint or the shank of the pig. And first, it's pan-fried. We made this one time, and that was the last time we ever made it at my house. It's such a mess. You have to wear a face shield, like for COVID. Anyway, it, it, it's pan-fried, then it's roasted, but it's very delicious, and it's very greasy, and it's pork. So one time when Avi and I were halfway through, I find a haksa, and I stopped, and I looked very serious at Avi, and I said, Avi, I have a question. And Avi says to me, yes, Tom. And uh, I said, Avi, how is it that you, a Jew, not just any Jew, a Jerusalem Jew, are sitting in this place in Germany eating this food? And Avi stopped eating at that point, and he took his hand, and he began to wave it over the dish, and he said, again, can you tell me what kind of fish is this again? <laughs> it's not pork. It's white meat, or maybe some kind of strange fish, who knows? But the swine on the hillside were a business. It reminds me also of my cousin, I always stories tell but my cousin Lois, when she was little in Florida, that she stopped eating food altogether. And people were very, everybody, her mother especially, very concerned. And they put all kinds of food in front of her. She wouldn't touch it. And one day, just as an experiment, she put in front of her some bacon. And she ate the bacon. And she loved bacon. It's a very bad thing when a Jewish person loves bacon. So her mother would cook Lois bacon, and she would surround whatever food with the bacon, and then Lois would eat it. She would surround meat, and Lois would eat the meat with the bacon around it. She would surround broccoli, and Lois would eat the broccoli when it's surrounded by the bacon. It didn't matter. Potatoes, shit, that's how it ate. She just ate as long as it was wrapped in bacon. Well, the consequence was is that my aunt's house was just filled with the smell of bacon. <laughs> Very non-kosher smell in a Jewish home. And with that smell, it was very hard to keep the secret that Lois ate bacon, only ate bacon. And the tragedy happened one day when the rabbi decided to come and visit the home. He smells this and he, this bacon. Well, anyway, fortunately, Lois got over her refusal to eat normal food. So for whatever reason, for business, to get children to eat peas, whatever it is, there was this herd of pigs on the hillside when the Lord arrived in the city. Now, we read in verse 28 that there were two that were possessed with devils. We don't know if they were men, if they were women, if it was a man or a wife. It just says two. But there was obviously one person who was the dominant one, who was the spokesman. And that's why when you look at the other Gospels of Mark and Luke, you'll see that it says one. Well, that's the person who's speaking. Now, this is a very dramatic scene in verse 28. Because the Lord arrives by boat to this region, and as soon as he arrives, who meets him? Ruined people, ruined people, people possessed with devils, not just one demon, but a whole legion of demons, as it says in Mark 5, 9. Mark 5, 9, when the Lord asked him, asked, asked this man, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. That's the demons inside of these people. There's, there are many of them. So as soon as he arrived, he is met by demon-destroyed 
people. How symbolic is that? I mean, uh, the Lord coming to earth, he sent to earth because, he, in essence, God the Father says, you got to go to earth because man is in great trouble. And there could be nothing sadder for the Lord to see than ruined souls when he arrives here. And that just emphasizes to the Lord why he came to earth, why he came to earth. I mean, when the Lord saw these two possessed men, we can imagine the Lord saying to himself, all right, this is the reason I came to earth, to deliver prisoners of Satan. And I better get to work because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Like, for example, when there was that woman in Luke 13, Luke 13, it says that, behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and she was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. Get the picture? It's a woman who probably looked like the letter L. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said it to her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. He laid his hand on her. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because of Jesus healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work in them, therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine? The Lord then answered him and said, thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And here's the key. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound Lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. The Lord came to release those who were bound, prisoners. That's what he said when he stood up in the temple and he took the, the book and he found Isaiah 61.1. And he was speaking of himself when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath appointed me, anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound. That's what he came to do. Here he is. He's got two people here who are bound by Satan. When the Lord arrived, there were these two people and we're told specifically in verse 28, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. That's very important. They came out of the tombs. Why were they in the tombs? Maybe it was the only place for them to live as they were probably withdrew from society. But the tombs at that time, the Lord was buried in a tomb, a cave. So the tombs were artificial caves. They were built into the ground or into the side of a hill. And the fact that these two demon-possessed people wanted to be among the dead at the place of the tomb, it shows what Satan drives demon-possessed people to do. Gravitate toward death. Gravitate toward the dead. I mean, just think of it. The place of the tombs, we're talking about a cemetery. And each one of those tombs was like a gravestone. It marked a place. And if you look at that, you look at the cemetery there, and you see these tombs, Satan would look at that cemetery and look at it and say, wow, he would say, trophies of my power. Trophies of my power. We can imagine him. We can imagine the demon-possessed people love to be in the tombs. Satan loves to be among the tombs. Why? And we can imagine that if we were to go there and Satan would say, let me take you on a tour. I want to take you on a tour of the cemetery. And he would just go from one tombstone to another tombstone in his tour. And then he would stop over some tombstones and he would say, for example, ah, oh, this one, this one. I managed to keep him occupied with making money all the time in his life. I kept him from seeking God until I was able to see him 
watch him fall into hell to join me. And the devil would be so happy because this tactic that he accomplished, he would say, this was a drowning. This was a drowning because that's what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 9. 1 Timothy 6, 9. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then Satan would move on to the next tombstone. He would stop and he said, oh, let me show you this grave. This was the one I was able to have him have a confidence in his shallow commitment to God. Someone came to his door and told him that all he had to do was just pray a prayer. That's it. He received Christ kind of like getting a million dollars. And he was deceived into thinking that, that just repeating those words was like an eternal fire insurance to keep him out of hell. It was just a shallow prayer that he made and nothing else, but that was all it took for me to keep him calm down away from God until he died and he fell into hell and joined me. And then Satan would come to another tombstone and we'd say, oh, I'm so anxious to show you this person, the grave of this person. I was able to keep her so worried and so anxious for all of her life and all the things she had to get done that it kept her so busy with these urgencies that she just felt she had no time for God, all the way down to her last breath when she slipped into hell to join me. And then Satan could come to another tombstone. He says, oh, now this woman, I remember her well. At first, I convinced her that a little wine in the evening, it's good for you, just a little bit. You relax. And then I got her to, I need to increase my relaxation. I'll just substitute the wine for vodka, a little vodka. And then she was hooked and she was addicted and she drank herself dead. One day she never woke up. She hemorrhaged inside to death from the alcohol. She was too drunk all the time to have any interest in God. Like a tsunami, this alcohol just swept her away into hell to be with me. And then Satan come to another grave and says, wait, you gotta see this grave here. This is the, this is the man I kept on a course of lust in life. I had him lusting after one woman after the other. One wasn't enough. I had to go to the next one. I had him lusting after one possession after another. I had him lusting after a higher and higher reputation. I had him lusting after greater personal prestige. There were just so many things that I kept dangling in front of him. It was unbelievable. And my work paid off as he was so distracted with all these lusts. He had no interest in God. He had no interest in God at all. And I kept putting one lust after another in front of him till finally death caught him, and he ended in hell to join me also. Then moving on to another grave marker, Satan could say, oh, this one, I convinced him to believe that he's never gonna die. Other people die, but he's never gonna die. So I had him keep on putting off making peace with God until I was able to run the clock out and he was so surprised that his time had come to die, and I distracted him all the way to the very end until he was cast into hell to be with me. And moving on to another one, another great marker, Satan couldn't boast. Oh, this one. He was kind of a scientific type. He was kind of an intellectual type. I convinced him there is no such thing as creation and God, that everything in nature just fell together over billions of years, and that but what the Bible says about six days and less than 10,000 years ago, fairy tale. I got him to away from the Bible. I convinced him that the Bible was just full of myths. And I convinced him to be an atheist and that there is no judgment because there's no God. And I was able to get him to be cast into hell to join me. And then Satan would move on to another person, another grave, and with excitement he would say, well, let me, let me tell you about this person. 
I convinced him to be legalistic in a religion of good works. I got him to believe that he was righteous because of all the good works that he did. I actually persuaded him to believe that with all his good works that God was obligated to let him into heaven. I kept his eyes on great sinners, and I swayed him to believe that God was going to judge on the curve and that he was much better than others. I kept him in that deception till there was no time left for him to repent and believe, and he was cast into hell. So when Satan would be going through the cemetery and go to these graves here, he's in a trophy gallery. He's walking through with pride. He's looking at the results of all his work to get people to populate the place of eternal torment and suffering because the Lord Jesus described hell that way when he said in Matthew 13, 42, Matthew 13, 42, cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place where all you hear in hell are the voices of people wailing from suffering. All you hear in hell is the sound of teeth grinding for anguish and anxiety and fear. It says in Revelation 21.8, Revelation 21.8, the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone is the second death. That's what hell is. It's a place of fire. As it says in Mark 9.43, in Mark 9.43, to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Twice, twice in those two verses, twice the Lord Jesus emphasizes that that fire doesn't go out. That fire doesn't burn out. You imagine we have forest fires. Sometimes the the fire department just says, uh, we can't fight it, just let it burn out. This is a fire that doesn't burn out. The fire is not quenched. The fire doesn't burn out. It's a place where there's no death to these gnawing, irritating worms. We can't even imagine. And the fact the fire in hell doesn't go out is emphasized in Jude 1.7. Jude 1.7, where it's called the vengeance of eternal fire. Hell is a place of eternal fire. Matthew 25, 41, the Lord said, it's everlasting fire that's prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place that was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. For a man to get to hell, he's got to fight his way in there. He's got to fight his way against every voice from God, which is saying to him, the good news is, repent, and you can be saved from your sins. You can go to heaven. You can be adopted. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper here. All that great blessing that we talked about in the Lord's Supper is what God is holding out to man, and man has to fight his way against that in a war of ignoring in order to get into hell because God's plan and desire is for all to be saved from hell through the gospel. He doesn't want to see one person in hell. It's a tragedy for God when a person turns away from the gospel and is cast into hell. But the devil wants to see every person in hell, and the devil works against God by getting people to ignore the gospel and ignore God till it's too late. And so he walks through the cemetery, the devil walks through the cemetery from grave to grave, and he shows off the trophies of his victories over God by the people he has gotten to defy God and to be cast into Satan's hell. Because that's what hell is. Hell is Satan's hell. It was never made for man. So these two demon-possessed people, they preferred to be among the dead in the trophy room, among the trophies of Satan's victory, rejoicing with Satan over the lives that he's gotten cast into hell. And that's why it's so significant that these two men in verse 28 coming out of the tombs, that's where Satan loves to be. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.